Listener Production. So that's the sound of the Polish border authorities warning refugees not to try and cross the border from Belarus last week. But they ignored those warnings and violence erupted. And sadly, at least 10 people have died in the standoff already. So tense scenes of Middle Eastern refugees trying to get into Europe are nothing new. But this crisis is different, Tom. The Belarusian leader is being accused of manufacturing the conflict to get back at the EU. Yeah, it's a bizarre situation. We're going to explain it in this episode's briefing. It's the deadly situation on Europe's freezing cold border with Belarus. It is Tuesday, November 23. First, here are today's headlines. The Prime Minister is facing a growing party rebellion over state vaccine mandates with a lower house MP joining senators promising to vote against the government. So government backbench MP George Christensen has told The Australian he can't guarantee he'll vote for government bills until the PM agrees to overturn vaccine mandates imposed by the states. So this comes after five government senators voted against the government yesterday over the issue with South Australian Liberal Alex Antic telling Sky News he is prepared to cross the floor again. I'm withholding my vote on legislation until such time as there are greater protections for people from discrimination from their medical choices. These are largely decisions of state parliaments, but there are things that the federal parliament could do, federal government could do in these circumstances. So this is a really tricky situation for the government, some of their own MPs uh, and senators pushing back and wanting to support this bill that was put forward by Pauline Hanson to rein in the states on vaccine mandates. And so what Alex Antic is talking about is blocking uh, the government's other bills, not supporting the government's other bills, like religious freedom protections, which are soon uh, to be voted on, voter ID reforms, uh, even the Anti-Corruption Commission or the Low Emissions Technology Fund, which is part of the net zero policy. Yeah, huge problem as they try to uh, go towards the polls early next year. And the government will need the support of one crossbench MP or Labor to pass those laws if Christensen follows through on this threat. This could be hard, Tom, because other crossbenchers like Craig Kelly and Bob Catter are also wanting action on the issue of mandatory vaccines. Yeah, and it's a really tricky one for Scott Morrison because I think by and large, even though we saw, you know, tens of thousands of people on the streets on the weekend, the majority of Australians support the way the states are handling the vaccine rollout. So I don't Mm. think there's a huge amount of votes in him sort of swinging to the far right on this, but there are some seats where um, you've got Clive Palmer campaigning hard, you've got One Nation um, sort of taking the sort of the far right end of the vote in some of those rural electorates. So he does have to keep an eye on that fringe as well. And I think um, some trips to Queensland are going to be in his future very soon. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of trips, look, I'm sure he didn't want to be talking about this either, but the Hawaii thing came up again yes. yesterday. A Labor MP asked why his office had misled journalists about where he was going. And then Scott Morrison gets up and says, well, I texted the opposition leader and told um, Anthony Albanese I was going on leave and, and where I was going. Uh, yeah. And then Anthony Albanese got up and said, yeah, you, you texted me, I kept that private, but you actually didn't tell me where you were going. So Scott Morrison gets back up and fights back and then later on is forced to admit that, yes, Albanese was right. He hadn't told him the destination for his leave. So he was caught out being loose with the truth. And this one will go down in Hansard. 
Universities and businesses have welcomed the Commonwealth's plan to open Australia's border to international students and visa holders next month. We lost $1.8 billion last year for a range of reasons, but because international students couldn't get into the country, that was a big one of those reasons. It really matters to the nation's economy. That's Universities Australia CEO Katrina Jackson speaking to the ABC. The Prime Minister announced yesterday that fully vaccinated skilled migrants and people on student, working holiday and humanitarian visas will be allowed in from December 1. Also, tourists from Japan and South Korea will be allowed into Australia as part of the changes. Yeah, so that's good news. We're seeing those travel bubbles open up for tourists, obviously all those other visa classes as well. Uh, and domestically, um, this is a big one for the, the Tilly family. Uh, South Australia's <laughs> border will open to um, vaccinated interstate travellers overnight. And Katrina, this border has actually separated my parents for months. Oh, which is such great news. I would love to be a fly on the wall or maybe not be a fly on the wall for that reunion, <laughs> but it's happy Christmas news anyway. Oh, something I don't need to see. But um, yeah, <laughs> mum's jumping straight on a plane and heading over to see dad. So um, I'm sure there's lots of other families in that situation as well. Um, lots of South Australians that live interstate that can now go home and see their loved ones. Investors who gave more than $23 million to missing fraudster Melissa Caddick are closer to getting at least some of their money back after a court ordered her assets be sold. It's the next step and indeed a critical and beneficial step for investors who have lost money with Melissa Caddick. So that's liquidator Bruce Gleeson speaking there. Um, so she has a house in a very exclusive suburb of Sydney that's meant to be worth $6 million where um, her husband, Anthony Coletti, is still living. So it's a bit of a messy one. It's expected that he's going to be asked to leave. Um, Coletti himself is not accused of any wrongdoing. But looking at the house and what's happened in the Sydney property market, it's probably worth more than that. But who would buy it? Like that is a weird thing to buy into. Yeah, it is. But then again, there are people who actually like buying houses where um, notorious historical incidents or newsworthy incidents have happened. So you never know. It could be part of the part of the selling shtick for that real estate agent. Yeah, like maybe they give you like leave one ASIC sneaker as part of the deal. Stop maybe the other it. one. No, too soon. <laughs> Police in the US believe the driver of a car who crashed into a Christmas parade killing five people in Wisconsin was fleeing a crime scene. Yeah, there were concerns at this incident that um, not only killed five people, but it left 40 people injured in the city of Waukesha had been a deliberate attack similar to some of the terror attacks in Europe. But US uh, media has quoted officials saying uh, it does not appear to have been a terror attack, that in fact um, the man appeared to be uh, fleeing another crime. So another day, another twist in the Peng Shuai story. The Women's Tennis Association says yesterday's announcement from the International Olympic Committee that it has spoken to Chinese star Peng Shuai hasn't allayed its concerns for the 35-year-old. Yeah, so the Women's Tennis Association says it's still concerned that Shuai is being censored and it comes after Amnesty International also raised concerns following the call saying the Chinese government has a track record of making people give forced and sometimes televised testimonies shortly after people go missing. Isn't that strange, Katrina? Yeah, it's weird, but I guess, you know, there there has been form in this regard, so it's something that they need to look into. Yeah, and I think, you know, when we brought that story yesterday about the IOC having a call with her, 
The call did seem kind of limited, and she said, mm. you, you know, I'm fine, but, you know, please respect my privacy. And you're like, mm, mm. Pri- who's, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. So I hope she's okay. I hope it is all above board. But, um, yeah, good thing to look into it a bit further, I think. All right, right after this message, we're taking you to the far eastern border of the EU. You might have seen it on the news, disturbing images of Polish security forces using water cannons, even tear gas against refugees and migrants who stormed their border, trying to cross from neighbouring Belarus. So the refugees are from Iraq, Syria and Afghanistan, and they're trying to get into Poland so they can settle in the richer countries inside the EU. Winter is kicking in. Conditions are super harsh. It is estimated by the New York Times, who have a reporter there, that around 4,000 migrants are camped near that border. As many as 10 or 20,000 are in Belarus in total, including in the capital, Minsk. But evidence has emerged that these migrants were flown in by Belarusian officials, in some cases put up in hotels, and then aided and encouraged to storm the border with wire cutters and axes. Belarus army forced me and all my friends to get here. So that's one of the migrants speaking to an international news agency. So the leader of Belarus is Alexander Lukashenko. He's being accused of orchestrating this clash as a way of forcing EU leaders to enter talks with him and drop sanctions that were imposed after last year's election that the EU says was rigged. Lukashenko regime starts to behave as a gangster regime because it's hurting them and they don't know what else to do. So they try to undermine the European Union by attacking and launching a hybrid attack against the member states of the European Union. So that's the EU foreign policy spokesperson Peter Stano speaking there. So let's get a richer picture of what's happening here with Professor Tatiana Kulakevich. She was born and raised in Belarus but moved to the US where she's now a professor at the University of South Florida specialising in Eastern Europe. Tatiana, thank you so much for joining us on the briefing. For most of us who haven't followed this closely, it was last Tuesday that really caught our attention, those uh, violent clashes on the border. Can you explain exactly what happened last Tuesday? And is that the worst of this crisis so far? The migration crisis in Belarus actually started in summer 2021. So it has been going on. The splash that uh, people saw last week is um, because uh, a large number of migrants from the Middle East, a thousand, couple of thousands, came close to the Polish border and tried to break through the fences. And uh, the Polish guards and border guards started stopping them with the water cannons uh, and other means, and that caught uh, international attention. But it is a consequence of the uh, crisis that began after the presidential election in Belarus in August 2020. So tell us a bit about that election. Um, What are the claims surrounding that? In August 2020, Belarusian authorities cracked down on peaceful protesters in Belarus 
thousands of people were um, detained. Belarus right now has almost 900 political prisoners. Thousands of people went out to the streets to protest the falsified presidential election in Belarus and were um, brutally suppressed. And that has been ongoing. Essentially, what researchers are calling this, it's a Belarusian awakening. Western countries uh, did not recognize uh, Alexander Lukashenko as a legitimate president. Since then, people are trying to fight against the uh, illegitimate president that managed to stay in power in Belarus and has been continuously um, suppressing and kind of, you know, in revenge, everything that uh, represents any sign of um, discontent with his rule. Okay, so there's a a big, I guess, dispute over that election result and whether Lukashenko should continue to be this authoritarian leader in Belarus. But what's all of that got to do with this clash on the border with Poland? After Lukashenko cracked down on protesters, uh, the European Union imposed uh, uh, one by one four packets of sanctions against the Belarusian regime. And uh, this migration crisis is a response to these sanctions and an attempt of Lukashenko to start a dialogue with the Western countries and uh, make an an effort for them to recognize him as a legitimate uh, ruler of Belarus uh, because no one wants to talk to him uh, after the crackdown of August 2020. It's a pretty interesting situation, the accusation that this Belarusian leader has manufactured this crisis on the border with Poland to get back at the EU for putting sanctions on him over this election. So what is the evidence that he's manufactured this migrant crisis on the border rather than just these Middle Eastern people taking this route to legitimately try and get into Poland? The journalists uh, have interviewed uh, migrants on the border and uh, actually these Middle Eastern migrants um, told them that their trips were organized by different trip agencies and um, uh, that Belarusian officials, uh, like border guards, were showing them uh, a way to the border, actually. So, in addition, Belarusian government increased the number of flights from, um, uh, you know, Middle Eastern countries and eased uh, the way to receive visas to Belarus for these people. This was an attractive um, way for Middle Eastern uh, migrants to go through Belarus because before that they were uh, going through Turkey and um, through the Mediterranean Sea and it was dangerous uh, with uh, the possibilities of drowning and uh, crossing through Belarus into the European Union, through Poland and through Lithuania and through through Latvia, it, it seemed safer. So why does Lukashenko think that this is the right strategy? Why does he feel if these allegations that Belarus are aiding these migrants to pile up on the border, why is that the right sensitive button to push to get a reaction from the EU? 
because uh, autocrats know how to destabilize, like potentially destabilize European Union. Migration question is uh, the question that might divide the European Union countries. It's very sensitive. And um, some countries voice uh, their uh, the need to let uh, migrants from the border inside the European Union. Other countries uh, are saying that uh, that should not be done. Poland is using a very tough approach uh, these days, voicing their concerns and the need for sanctions against the Lukashenko regime. However, um, we need to notice that in this case, as opposed to the migrant crisis in 2015, uh, when the migrants were coming uh, in the south of the European Union, through Turkey, for example, uh, this crisis is artificially manufactured and the reaction uh, from the European Union is more unified than one could um, expect. So the countries that are voicing their disagreement with those who don't want to let migrants inside the European Union is uh, not that loud. And uh, uh, the European Union is going to um, uh, impose uh, another package of sanctions against the uh, Lukashenko regime, uh, against the airlines uh, that are flying uh, migrants and uh, uh, against the everybody who uh, they find was involved in this um, crisis. Now, Lukashenko potentially has a few more tools in his arsenal if this doesn't work, right? We've heard reports that he's threatened to turn off the gas to the EU. That's correct. That's what he uh, said. One of the signs was that he actually uh, tried to close one of the pipelines, Druzhba, for uh, a day or so, uh, claiming that the, that there were repairs uh, ongoing, but uh, this uh, pipeline is operating again. The closing of the pipeline it, it will go against the interests of Russia. So if uh, any pipeline is closed, that would be, for a long time, that would be whisper with Russia. Uh, but uh, Lukashenko has been making different steps, different actions, uh, even before this migrant crisis. If you maybe remember, there was this Ryanair landing, uh, which triggered the previous round of sanctions against him. So he is acting in this manner. Uh, it's not surprising. So the tragedy of this to me seems that you could have these, um, you know, people traveling from Afghanistan or Iraq, people in need that are able to fly to Belarus, get that one way ticket, but then they get stuck on the border and they're essentially victims of this geopolitical tussle between uh, Lukashenko and the EU leaders and they die in the cold as a result of that. Is that your fear as well? Or do you think that now that word's getting out that the border with Poland is is pretty tough and they're not getting anywhere, that these migrants or refugees will actually stop flying to Belarus. Well, uh, what has been happening within the past few days is one flight was already organized and flew back to uh, Baghdad, flying back about 450 migrants who decided to go home uh, because of uh, what they faced, these difficult conditions and uh, mistreatment from different sides. From what I hear, there are going to be another flight organized in about a week 
for more people to fly back. Uh, some airlines are not allowing some Middle Eastern uh, migrants on their board, uh, in, probably in fear that sanctions will be coming against these airlines. Still, uh, the Afghanistan the people from Afghanistan flying, I mean, fleeing from uh, the Taliban might be coming through Russia, where it's easier. You know, the, the, the Russia is an ally of Lukashenko. So, um, on one hand, there are some measures applied to help migrants. Uh, on the other hand, this, the crisis is still ongoing. Some of them are still coming in hopes of crossing the border. A few days ago, some some of these migrants were put uh, moved under the roof, not far from the border, in this um, in some building storage facility. I would call it. There actually was a, a a COVID outbreak there. So I would say we will need to see. It's not stopping. Some people are saying it's kind of getting a little bit calmer, but um, it's not going anywhere. This migrant crisis at the moment. That's Professor Tatsiana Kulakevich. Uh, she's a professor at the University of South Florida. She was born and raised in Belarus. Hearing that, I couldn't help but wonder whether we're really just getting the EU side of the story here. Mm. That there's just so many murky, complex dynamics in these situations. It's it's mm. kind of hard to know who to believe. And I have seen reports that it was the Belarusians that let in the New York Times journalists, but the Polish authorities weren't letting in any other journalists and all the information was coming from their government. Yeah, and when there isn't that sort of um, clarity there that's provided by a free press, yeah, you don't know who to believe in that good guy, bad guy narrative. It does seem so simplistic. So I think we need to keep watching this space and, and figuring out what the best information is and what we can trust here. Tomorrow on The Briefing... Who actually created Bitcoin and why are they in court? Listener.